another thing people bring up with homeschooling is like the socialization thing. Like, oh, how are they going to be socialized? But it's the same thing. It's like, do you want people to be socialized in this artificial environment where they're only allowed to interact with people their same age and only under one, like a teacher's supervision? And only, I mean, that is not real world socialization at all. Like, like nobody teaches a kid how to talk. Nobody teaches a kid how to walk. Like these, they're all basic things. It, all, it always reminds me of. I think it's Nassim Taleb. He's he had this whole thing about teaching birds to fly. He's like, you know, you could have a Harvard professor sit down, like, do this whole lecture for like, you know, weeks of these baby birds and like showing them like aerodynamics and like teaching them physics, and, and then at the end of the the, the semester, the, the birds are are flying, and the professor's like, ah. Oh, I am a great professor. I have taught the birds how to fly. This is my conversation with Nat and Martha Sharp. Nat and Martha are both filmmakers. In February 2023, they won a fellowship through O'Shaughnessy Ventures to explore alternative education. We talk about making movies before YouTube, just doing stuff, the O'Shaughnessy Fellowship, alternative education and parenting, social media heuristics, and much more. This was a really fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. As a, as a kid, I was always, uh, I watched a lot of movies and <laughs> I have always been interested in stories and storytelling and the importance of that. Um, and that's why like, and so like in college, I ended up uh, writing my senior thesis on the importance of storytelling. Um, and uh, later on when I met Nat, he had actually, he was giving a presentation to a bunch of college kids because he had just been to film school mm. and it was on storytelling. And he chose a few movies for his presentation that were amazing choices, in my opinion. <laughs> so I wrote an email good to taste. him. Yeah, good taste. So I wrote an email to him afterwards, which I don't even remember doing, but he found it later, uh, just basically complimenting him and saying, well done, story man. <laughs> Yeah. So that, that was the first time we met was like when I was giving a presentation on like the hero's journey and kind of, you know, the Joseph Campbell. Um, and it was really funny because, yeah, I mean, I, I had been through like this one year film school and it was it was a lot of fun, but I also kind of got burned out. Um, and then when I when Martha and I, she really wanted to make a movie, like write the, write a screenplay and, you know, like make a real like movie movie. But I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't want to, like, I knew like too much by that point, right? Like I, I had already, I had spent all this time like learning the professional way of doing it and all you know, thousands of dollars of lighting equipment and sound equipment that a movie needs. Yeah. Um, so it was no longer like a fun little hobby for me, like it was growing up. But, but she was, she was very persuasive. And so I said, okay, if you write the screenplay that I will direct the movie and you know edit it and all that stuff right and you did and mm -hmm. you know I grew up before YouTube right when I was a kid there was no YouTube there was no TikTok there was no way for just ordinary people to make a movie so even though I wanted to make a movie so bad I thought the only thing I could do was to like learn how to like write screenplays and submit them and try to get them approved by Hollywood or something like I there weren't as many options for someone to just start making movies yeah how did right publishing now. look like back then uh we didn't i mean <laughs> we just don't <laughs> yeah like, like when, i guess when we were doing it that was like 2008 or 9 so like i think youtube was a thing for you he's young you're starting out no I, I, when we met 
Oh, when we met, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was YouTube then, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, I we the movie we ended up making was just like it was like twenty minutes long. It was we got our friends together. We it was like a tickle. It was called the Tickle Monster, the terrible Tickle Monster, <laughs> and it was like a Beowulf adaptation with like music from Fiddler on the Roof and Mary Poppins. It was just really, really weird and bizarre. Um, but we had a lot of fun making it, and. And then we just basically made it for with our friends for our friends. Mm -hmm. I think I think all the copies are gone now. They've all been lost. I know it's so sad. It's very sad. But it, so that that was basically like how we fell in love, like making mm -hmm. that movie, and then a year later we got married. So right, like the editing process. Like I had only ever just written screenplays before myself, you know, um, and and that's kind of my forte. But Nat's forte is like the editing process, and there's so no. much storytelling in the editing process you know you have all this footage but you have to figure out how to put it together to basically weave the story um together and yes. communicate it visually too yeah. and then we actually so shortly after we got married and then like uh while we were expecting our first kid we ended up making a documentary like a like a longer documentary mm -hmm. um and we really experienced it there because like we just filmed tons of stuff we were we were both living in like this little commune of like 30 people um this very alternative kind of lifestyle group that i was born in right. um and so, there was no yeah. screenplay for this one right because right, we didn't yeah. know what was going to happen because we were filming real life exactly. you know i was pregnant with our first child and we didn't know what was going to happen with that like and she ended up being like almost a month late and Anyway, yeah, yeah. it's just and then there filming was, real life. You don't know what kind of stories are going to emerge. And there was know? a woman in the uh, the community who was in her like uh, late fifties who had cancer. She she had just found out she had a terminal diagnosis. Um, so we were filming her process basically of dying, while we were also filming our first child being born. Um, so that was it was a really interesting experience. But then after mm -hmm. after the first kid, and then we ended up having four kids in five years yeah. uh, we didn't we didn't have a lot of time to make movies we were a so. little busy <laughs> fast forward to a couple of years ago and you all went full-time living on the road in an rv what mm -hmm. inspired yeah. you to do that <laughs> oh, yeah. that's Martin. me again i've yeah. always wanted yeah. <laughs> i've always wanted to live in an rv <laughs> um even in high school i thought wouldn't it be cool to get an old school bus and convert it to an RV and just travel around the country with our friends or whatever. So yeah. I thought about it for a long time. And then of course on YouTube, I see all these families doing it. And I'm like, maybe, maybe we could do it too, you know? Um, and then finally, like when, when COVID hit and Nat's job went fully remote. Um, and of course we were homeschooling, so we weren't tied to a school or anything. It was like, the time was right. So we so had been saving up for a down payment on a house and we just used that to get an RV instead. And we did it. Yeah, that <laughs> was a great, great purchase. What was that? Sorry, how long did you do that for? For about a year, but pretty yeah. much exactly a year. Yeah, yeah. for an entire year. We, uh, wow. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, we basically got rid of everything we owned except the, the essentials and stuck it in the RV. Um, yeah. And it was, it was, it was one of those things too, where it's just like, yeah, <laughs> we were just, we were both at home, right. Working remotely. And it was like, we realized like that was the one opportunity mm -hmm. 
to do it like and it's like but it's still like hard like so even though it's something you had thought about for years right like when it actually came down to it she was actually more terrified than i was like i had I right was... like i had dreamed of it but he's the one who actually went to the bank and got the money and i freaked out like wait are we really doing this yeah. what you know like we're taking we're actually taking action we're not just yeah. imagining so it. i guess i mean that's that's kind of a common theme in our life and the marriage too it's just like how can we live a life where it's not just in our heads right where it's not like both of us are kind of like i mean i'm much more like in my head than she is but mm -hmm. I think we both have that tendency to a certain degree, like very, very active imaginations. Kind of, we can kind of like rationalize and see. My my problem is I I think I can predict what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So then I'm like, well, why do I even have to do it? Um, yeah, and then my problem which is, is completely that false. It's like it doesn't work that way. My problem is that I have desires that I think are just way beyond my reach. So I just end up imagining them and just endlessly researching them <laughs> and not actually oh, right. doing them. So. Um, so we kind of balance each other out because the things I imagine and desire, he actually pushes me to do in real life. And then, uh, yep. and then you, you definitely, I definitely force you to get out of your head a little more too. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I would say like the first, yeah, the first part of our marriage, we, uh, it definitely, uh, I, I was resisting her ideas and stuff a lot. And then about halfway through about a few years ago, at least I, uh, I realized all the crazy ideas she's had, I've they've always turned out to like 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 moving across the country or like all these crazy things we've done, they've always turned out better than the situation we were before. Um, so that's like what happened with the RV thing. I was like, okay, you know what? Like this this sounds like a crazy idea. There's absolutely no reason we have to do it. You know, we're gonna we're gonna become homeless basically, but everything else seems to be lining up. So why not? Right? Why not? Yeah, he he realized that, well, one thing is that um, it helped when you realized that when I come up with an idea to do something, you don't have to do it for me. Oh, right. Right? All, all he has to do is just say yes. <laughs> That's all I'm looking for is just encouragement. That's I'm not right. looking for someone else to do it for me. Um which is actually really different than I think is really different from a lot of relationships. Like when we were full-time RVing, we got together with some other full-time families and I had told them, I told them at one of our little meetings, like that we had installed a composting toilet in our RV and, and that it was so much better than having to mess with a black tank. Cause I was sitting there listening to everyone and everyone was just complaining about their black tanks that's where you know the toilet stuff goes. Sure, yeah. <laughs> In case you don't know, um, disgusting. Yeah, like how do you deal with the smell? How do you deal with this and that? And I'm just like, well, you know what? We installed a composting toilet, and it's so much better. And then they're like, oh, tell us more, you know. Um, now I'm the one who did it. I made this composting toilet. I designed it. I made it. I installed it, and just I did it myself. But after this meeting. All the men, all the like uh, husbands were coming up to, they came up to me and said, you know, you just made a lot more work for us husbands. I'm like, why? I, I mean, Matt didn't do it. <laughs> you know, if your wives want a composting toilet, just let them make it, you know? <laughs> um, so, I mean, there's probably some differences in our relationship than with other people's, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I discovered Nat through his you can just do stuff video 
which I don't know. Yeah, I think I've seen it so many times now. And yeah, it just reminds me of that. It was a wonderful video and found it a bit weird, which is probably why I found it pretty good. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that's yes. Yeah, that was so those are the kind of movies I make by myself. The, the kind of movies I make by myself are very weird. Not, which is good. Quite, weird is oh, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you like them. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a yeah, that's why I have it pinned to my profile though. It's like that's that's one of the lessons I would say I've learned in my life. It's just like as someone that overthinks everything, as someone that overanalyzes and you know, has like I've had crippling anxiety, um, panic attacks, all sorts of terrible things. And it seems like over and over again the lesson is just like is just fate, like not letting that fear stop you from doing something. Mm-hmm. Um and the the ironic thing is that, you know, like the Fear is so easily rationalized as reason, um, and I think Visa Visa can be on a Twitter. He just did a thread on this, which was so so good. But basically, the idea that the uh, I think it was like the smarter you are, like the the more easy it is to scare yourself. I think that's what he said, mm-hmm. and I I totally identify with that. And what I had, what I found though is that the most rational thing you can do is just try stuff. It's just it's literally just do things you haven't done before, because what happens is that that brings in new information. Mm-hmm. Like, so all this weird stuff I've done, all these weird videos I do, all this, like, I mean, part of the reason I'm doing those videos is because they're scary for me to make and then, and then to publish, right? Like, it's actually, <laughs> like, who, who cares what the effect is? Just by posting it, I am confronting some fear I have. And then being like, okay, here's the, here's what I'm afraid is going to happen. Now let's do an actual experiment and see what actually happens. Right. And it's usually not the end of the world, like I think. This reminds me of, like, like I, I did a tweet, something like, the best way to kill your fantasies is to actually do it, Ooh, you know? Right. And it's the same with fears. Fears are just fantasies, you know? It's just it's, unpleasant fantasies. They're unpleasant <laughs> fantasies. Fears are just unpleasant fantasies. <laughs> So the way to kill any fantasy, pleasant or not, is to actually do it. And then it can't remain a fantasy. Then yeah. it's an actual experience instead. Um, Interesting. And it usually never turns out the way you thought it would, either positive or negative, right? <laughs> like your fears aren't as bad as you thought they were, and your fantasies aren't as good as you thought they were. Or, But um, the arving was great, though. <laughs> but it was so real see that's the thing yeah is it becomes real like i mean she could have spent her entire life being like someday i'm gonna buy an rv and like travel around the country and it's gonna be the best thing ever you know i'm gonna do it for the rest of my life like she could have spent her entire life doing that i think a lot of people do that like waiting for retirement or waiting for who knows what and then they then they try it and they find out like oh this wasn't what i expected and it's like like she said like the rv thing wasn't bad but it's like after a year of doing it like for the, like we know what it's like we, we've experienced it and it's like it's like you got out of your system in a certain sense right you guys won the o'shaughnessy fellowship recently so congratulations you made a solid yeah. application video again of lost count as to how many times i watched it uh <laughs> for those for those listening uh um who might not be familiar with the fellowship, could you 
either of you describe what the Yoshansi Fellowship is and also what are you going to do now that you won? Sure. We're, we're looking at each other, expecting yeah. the other person to explain it. <laughs> Why don't you explain yeah. it since you're the one who found it? He's right, right. It. So I've, I, uh, I've been following Jim O'Shaughnessy for about three years. Um, I've, I've, he, he has a great Twitter presence. He, he posts like really interesting threads. He's posted, uh, I, I've con- gone to some of the salons he's, he's hosted over the years. And lots of gifts. Oh yeah, he he, he, he has. I, I I learned a lot of my uh, my Twitter Twitter reply game from from watching okay. him. Okay. Um. So it's a real really interesting guy. He uh and he is uh. He was the founder of O'Shaughnessy Asset Management, which was a big like uh, financial company in New York. Um, but then he, recently he started O'Shaughnessy Ventures, which is more of kind of an experimental kind of. Um, I mean, part of it's going to be like venture capital, like investing, like he's invested in Stability AI, which is super exciting. Um, but he wanted to do a fellowship for like 12 people over like the course of a year where he would basically give them $100,000 to do whatever they wanted to um, without any kind of like no equity or anything. Um, so super you know, unusual, super generous. And I heard about this at the beginning of the year, and I was like, I mean, I, I at that point Martha was working full time doing a, uh, software engineering. I was like a stay at home dad, um, but it was like we've always wanted to be able to like work together on stuff, and it seemed like this was like might be an opportunity to, to do that. I mean, it seemed it was very, <laughs> very far uh, uh, unlikely. Um, Mm-hmm. but but yeah that so that, that was the that was the reasoning behind that and like but he you know it, like he was he's giving he's giving out two of these fellowships now but like it's going to go towards um i think the other guy is like a quantum scientist right so it's like science art um business but it, yeah, yeah so it's like i mean it's a it's an awesome awesome mm-hmm. idea yeah and we came up with a pitch so so <laughs> You know, it's funny because before before we even knew about this, I was having a conversation with my oldest daughter. She's 10. And and she asked me, Mom, what would you do if you didn't have to worry about money? If if we just had all the money we needed and you didn't have to work, mm-hmm. which is, a, you know, it's one of those standard questions you ask people to find out what they want to do for real. <laughs> I thought about it. I said, I'd make I'd make movies like, I'd, you know. And you can kind of tell because I've been, I've been making, I have my own YouTube channel and I've been making little videos here and there just when I have the time or I'm inspired, you know, but I'd, I'd love to do more. Um, and that makes sense. Like it's what I've always wanted to do apparently. And it's what uh, brought us together. And um, so we came up with this pitch about, uh, about, well, we had to come up with a pitch that was like, what kind of movies did we want to make, right? Because, um, and something that we've thought a lot about, especially with our own kids, is education and what what kind of education works for us. Um, and and we've come across some things in our own explorations that we think could help a lot of other people right. if we got the word out a little bit more, you know? So that's that's where our pitch video came in was we we talked about making videos about alternative education, specifically like self-directed uh, education. Um, and so that's what we've been focusing on 
lately, but it's so open-ended that it's really not limited to that, yeah. you know? Yeah, so like when we met with Jim, like I kept trying to like, or even before we applied, like I think he hosted a Twitter space. And like one of the questions I had was like, okay, Jim, at the end of, at the end of this year, like, what are you, what kind of deliverables are you looking for here? Like, I mean, there's no way you're just going to give someone a hundred thousand dollars and say, go for it. Right. I mean, what, what, what is the, what's the ulterior motive? Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, he was like, no, like, I mean, he, I mean, his mind, like it doesn't, there doesn't have to be some sort of like, you know, finished business plan or like some sort of, you know, revenue generating yeah. whatever um and so that was very encouraging too because it's like like <laughs> we wanted to make movies but it's like mm -hmm. the idea like trying to make a living or like make movies in a way that like generates income is very hard yes very Unless very you hard do... i mean there's a few yeah. youtubers that like can, can do it and like <laughs> you know like they've built up a massive audience and like that's that's amazing um our, our youtube yeah. channel like i think it has like a thousand subscribers or something like mm -hmm. so it's like it's there's no way it's gonna make money Mm -hmm. um so so anyways i mean that that was that was good to like to like you know actually push in because you know yeah. like, like i said like who does this right who who just gives away a hundred thousand dollars and say hey just go go do something that's no one's ever done before right just go go play so it's almost like i mean he's looking more for people than ideas almost oh you know suppose, yeah like yeah. so he's investing in people more than what more than their actual ideas maybe um uh so but you know we said basically what what we've been doing for our kids which is like giving them the freedom and the space and the resources to pursue their interests and to learn and to do what basically what they want yeah. um he's basically trying to do that for adults you know um adults who may never have had that opportunity or right. are basically right. stuck <laughs> in the in the grind of daily life just trying to get by uh and don't have the the opportunity to pursue these ideas they have yeah so i think that that's one thing i've always liked about jim it's like even, even from like on twitter it comes through, across but he, he's he's one of the most optimistic people i've ever met like he's just he's a i mean in terms of like person personal stuff but also like uh just like you know in terms of like civilization and the world yeah and it's, it's pretty cool i mean it's uh mm -hmm. it's cool to it's contagious to be around people like that <laughs> right so education that's something that's really close to my heart i'm 16 and mm. i go to school uh a conventional high school which kind of sucks so i'm trying to drop out uh kinda so instead of entirely dropping out i'll be um so it's not final again but uh this is something that I've been thinking about having, you know, discussions, emotional discussions with my parents about. So uh, what I'll do is not go to school. So not waste like 40 hours a week of my time mm -hmm. and instead just stay at home, study a bit. Otherwise, you know, I'm always learning. I'm all for learning, but studying is studying for school is like different. It's something I'm forced to do. So I'm not really interested exactly. in it. Right. And so what I'll do there is, um, you know, study a bit, then pass the exams in the end. So I'll just go to school for the exams and then get the grades, satisfy my parents or whatever. But I'm curious how y'all are currently raising your five children, educating them. Do you unschool, homeschool? What's the difference? 
yeah, we've been we've been unschooling. It's funny because I'm I'm currently making a video about our story, <laughs> so stay tuned. But but before we say that, there's this book that I've never read but was recommended to me called the Teenage Liberation Handbook. How to quit school and get a real life and education. <laughs> so, so that's a that's I I sounds like a very dangerous book to read, but probably would help a lot of teenagers uh, and possibly upset a lot of parents. Um, so yeah, basically our our understanding of or I mean the way we're trying to raise our kids is <clears throat> with this kind of this understanding that kids have a intrinsic drive to learn. Like, like nobody teaches a kid how to talk. Nobody teaches a kid how to walk. Like these are, they're all basic things. Um, and it, all, it always reminds me of, I think it's Nassim Taleb. He's, he had this whole thing about teaching birds to fly. He's like, you know, you could have a Harvard professor sit down, like do this lecture for like, you know, weeks of these baby birds and like showing them like aerodynamics and like teaching them physics. And, and then at the end of the, the, the semester, the, the birds are, are flying. And the professor's like, ah, oh, I am a great professor. I have taught the birds. I have taught the birds how to fly. Uh -huh. And that's kind of our approach to like the kids. It's just like, like the things that we have done in our lives have almost always been things that we have learned on our own and that right. we're, we had some sort of intrinsic motivation to learn. Um, and so much of what we learned in school is like, is basically forgotten after the, the tests, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so sad. It's just like, yeah, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of educators, uh, educators, psychologists, etc., who you can read, um, mm -hmm. who've talked about this idea that humans are intrins intrinsically wired to be curious and to learn, yeah. but, and can know what they can intuitively know what they need to learn to survive just by observing around them, you know, um, and that forced learning or compulsory education can actually kill that because the kids might want to, you might want to learn one thing, but the teacher says, nope, can't learn that right now. We're learning this instead, you know? So, but we found as adults that the, the, when you're really, really interested in something, you will learn it really quickly and really well, and you'll remember it. Yeah. And that, that's basically, it sounds like what you're doing. And I, I, from what you're saying, I assume it's going to work perfectly, but it's like what you actually need to know to pass your exams can be learned in such a smaller amount of time <laughs> than what school will force you to like put into it. Right. Right. And this is what like we've heard tons of stories of like people that, you know, a lot of people that would, you know, grew up unschooling and they didn't have like a lot of math or different things. And yeah, they, kinda, they wanted to go to college, they're trying to get into college. And yeah. And it's like they, they they just took like what a month or two a month or two to learn the math they, they needed caught up like all I mean, basically like to college level math because they were motivated yeah instead of motivated. suffering through years and years yeah. learning something they're not interested in they just took a couple months so anyways but this, this is all theory this is all <laughs> yeah, theory yeah, yeah, yeah. and like uh, to be perfectly honest we don't know how our kids are going to turn out right I mean this right. is mm -hmm. this is the other thing like if we had them in a normal school there would be a certain amount of um, psychological safety mm -hmm. or like that we would feel like, okay, we're doing what everyone else is doing. We have professionals teaching them. We have professionals measuring their progress. Therefore, our kids are probably going to turn out okay and have jobs 
and and make money and survive. Yeah. And it's like I don't I don't blame anyone for doing that. Like what we're doing, basically like homeschooling in a way that is basically unschooling, which means that we don't have any curriculum. We don't have any like any okay, by this age you need to learn this. By this age you need to do this. Like yeah. we are like we, our, our six our yeah. seven year old knows how to read better than our nine year old because she's more interested. Oh, you right. know? Yeah. Nice. Uh that's just fine. Like he's been doing just fine without reading. <laughs> but um but it's just it's like the RV life. We didn't know how that was going to turn out either. Right. It yeah. could have been a total disaster. Yeah, and, and it almost was. Like we almost died a couple times doing the RV, like like literally. It's, well, carbon monoxide poisoning is no joke. Let's put it <laughs> yeah. that way. <laughs> yes, that, that was that was the one time. Like, like anyways, like the bedroom Martha and I had. We had this whole thing. We ended up having. We were at this like truck stop. We had the window open. The engine was running, and like we, anyways, it was. That was that was, was, was man. The kid, the kids were safe, but we, were fine. but Martha and I almost died. And it's one of those things where it's like, if we had died or you know someone had got hurt, right? It would be so easy for someone from the outside to be like, oh, look at that, you know that they shouldn't have done, they shouldn't that. Have done that. They should have just done the normal thing. Mm-hmm. But it's like the the problem with doing just the normal thing is that terrible things happen to those people too, right? You know, this is really interesting because before we did the RV thing. I had this strange sense of like, I mean, we were kind of settled into life and getting into a routine and, and, and I had this strange, like, uh, almost survival instinct saying, we have got to get out of here or we're going to (laughs) die. You know, like we can't become complacent like this. You know, it was bad for our survival. It was too comfortable. It was too comfortable. And in a certain sense, it's like, and when we did the RV thing, it was like forcing ourselves to be in a more survival situation. Like, and we felt alive, you know, <laughs> we felt more alive and more fulfilled and happy in a certain sense because we were in more of a survival situation. Um, and I think a lot of people, do, I mean, people go out on crazy camping trips and crazy. I mean, we you, we see people doing this in different ways. like trying to break out of the comfortable life somehow um yeah what uh yeah why does it trigger like this danger sense in me if yeah. we get too comfortable okay, or it's just like your parents right like the, the idea of you quitting school to your parents mm. i'm sure is is scary right would, would, would you say like like that's the emotion yeah, totally like fear yeah fear and that and that's I guess that's the other thing too. Is it's like in in our life in general, <laughs> we're trying not to make decisions based on fear, mm-hmm. like just kind of as a heuristic, right? As a heuristic, it's just like, and I've almost done the opposite where I I've found things I'm afraid of, but I'm still kind of attracted to, mm-hmm. and I've intentionally done them, mm-hmm. partly because I was afraid. Follow the fear. I, or I, that, that's been kind of my mantra this year. I was realizing oh, yeah. that the things that I desire the most are also the things that scare me the most. Interesting. And so instead of saying, follow your desires, I'm saying, follow the fear. Like, cause the fear is probably where your desires are anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Martha, actually, she, she dropped out of high school, right? Nice. Or dropped- uh, middle school, actually. Yeah. And for, well, and high school for different reasons. Yeah. You know, uh, in middle school, I draw, I asked my parents if I could homeschool because the kids were mean. 
Um, but then I went back for high school and it's the same thing you experienced. Like it's so much wasted time. It's just like, I could learn this stuff faster just on my own. And then I'd have more time to do what I was interested in. Um, so yeah, for high school, it was the same thing. I uh, homeschooled for the academic parts, but so I identify and it works out. It's just fine. It's good. <laughs> I guess that, that's the thing. Like as like I identify with your parents too, because it's like, I mean, as a parent or it, especially as a parent, but just even anyone, we want to have like these measurable, like these metrics that we can mm -hmm. basically judge whether or not we're doing okay in life. Yeah. Right. I mean, like whether it's your, you know, how you like the school or your, the kids' grades, but I think, I think for adults, it's like your salary, like, like mm -hmm. you look at your salary and like, okay, is my salary comparable with your retirement, your retirement my peers? Salary. Like, how, how do I, how do I measure up? You know, where am I? Mm -hmm. um, and once again, like, on the one hand, it's like, I don't blame anyone for doing that. On the other hand, I've also realized, even though like it seems rational to do that, it's not necessarily the smartest thing. Like, even though like all the, like, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not even necessarily the, the smartest. It's just, right. you know, just to follow the, what everyone else is doing. I don't know. Mm -mm. Well, especially if other people are not the happiest either. Oh, right. I well, mean, that, yeah, exactly. That's right. another thing. It's yeah. like, they might be safe. Or, or, you know, they might feel secure, more secure, but they're, they're how many happy I'm, I'm, people do you know? And are they the you know, ones doing crazy things? Or well, are they here, the ones the doing the safe, The safest thing to do in the world is to stay at home and complain. Which is most people. It's incredibly <laughs> safe. You're like, you're. We, and we decided a long time ago, we were not gonna to basically give up complaining mm -hmm. because complaining is what people who have no agency do. Complaining is what people do if they're totally helpless victims and they ha can't take action. No, if they feel like helpless victims. If they feel like helpless victims. If they victims, want to yes. be, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. No one the help, I mean. So the first thing we did, we were living in North Dakota, which is like the coldest place in the United States. Is It's cold, it's bad, it's like yeah. the Arctic. No, it's not like the Arctic, but it's, it's like- It's worse. <laughs> yeah it's it's worse because you actually live there um <laughs> um and you know we decided we can either stop complaining about the cold and just and just decide intentionally to stay here with the cold included or we can decide to leave but either way we were not going to complain anymore you know so it's just if you give up complaining, it means you have to be so much more intentional with your life and realize that you are responsible for your own life and your own situation and your own choices so that you really can't complain, you know? <laughs> You're not allowed to complain unless you're gonna do something about it. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, I do think complaining is mostly useless. Like I see a lot of people complain about education the education mm -hmm. system oh right exactly yeah <laughs> and not just education you know like as you said people just complaining about stuff in general expecting some high authority to come fix their problems for them but you guys are different you know you realize school is messed up that your kids shouldn't have such a messed up environment to go to against their will and so you do something about it which is really cool and so i appreciate that a um, mm -hmm. couple things uh that you said earlier so you know it's ironic that you're trying to force someone like you're teaching them how to learn but that's like actually 
diminishing their curiosity, their own creativity. And so that's have, having a hampering effect on the learning. And so uh, instead, you know, of teaching aerodynamics to the birds, just let them fly, right? So <laughs> that's one. And yeah, so you're talking about, so some people, like when they hear homeschool or unschool, they're like, oh, these kids, they're going to have gaps in their knowledge. But that's not true. Like, uh, and that you brought up that kids learning uh, high-level maths in just a month. So if you're interested, if you're interested in a particular problem you want, that you want to solve, and, you know, problems, I, I see problems as awesome things. They're, like, interesting to solve and stuff. And so when you have a particular problem you want to solve, you want to learn something, and you see this barrier that you didn't, really learn before because you know if you're on school journey and you just follow your interests and so you have to go through let's say this math thing to solve this problem and so even if you've had you know these so-called gaps in your learning you're gonna want to learn math now because that's what's going to enable you to solve your interesting problem and then so you you do that mostly faster than the other kids and because you're more interested really paying attention and stuff on your own and then you do that, you go ahead, solve your problem. So um, that's obviously and that, way better. And that also, if there is a gap in your knowledge, it's probably just because you never needed it before. Right. You know, I mean, that's that's the idea, in-demand learning as opposed to just-in-case learning. Because with just-in-case learning, like, who decides? I mean, there's so much knowledge well, in the world, I mean, so many things yeah. you can learn. I mean, this, this is the other thing, too. This is necessary. This is the other question. I mean, this is uh, I, one of the biggest complaints about like chat gpt that i've seen from like like normal people that aren't really like you know on twitter is what about the teachers yeah kids it, are going to use it to teach ki kids are going to cheat with this or they're not going to learn no, anyways um <laughs> but so that's the that's the question is like are you more concerned about the teachers or the kids right mm -hmm. and what what ai in my mind is doing it's like calculators right it's show like <laughs> before calculators if you wanted to do math you had to be like super disciplined and like have all the stuff in your mind and like study super hard mm -hmm. but then with a calculator it was like you were able to do that like anyone could do you know advanced math and, and that's what i see like ai doing it's just like who gives a crap if you have a gap in your knowledge or even google like what the heck you if you have a gap in your knowledge you like that go watch I mean, a youtube video yes. like it's i mean not a big deal youtube is awesome yeah youtube for education Martha is... taught herself to code in less than a year using just online yeah stuff. using like free yeah. code camp using youtube totally free and then she got and chat gbt would have made it so much better too <laughs> yeah, yeah. i'm just pointing that out yeah. that would have been amazing yeah but and then, and then she got a job she got a job on twitter like and then she was she was talking about her you know stuff she was doing on, on twitter and she, that's where her first job offer came from mm -hmm. and it's like yeah. anyways it, so yeah. that's another thing we're doing with our own kids is we're we're letting them use all the same technologies we're using like exactly. we're treating them like little adults, uh, just like we're treating ourselves like big kids, basically. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and this like, is yeah. This I think this is part of the problem too. Like with uh, like homeschooling, like normal homeschooling or like school, is that you you take the kids and you put them in this artificial little. Like, like do do you do coding at all? I don't. Not really. Okay, but so in coding, there's something called like the dev environment, 
which is yeah. basically like the live environment, except it's like not connected to the, I mean, it's, it's like a separate little environment. Mm -hmm. And that's like what the kids are in. They're like, they don't have access to the APIs. They don't have access to like, you know, like the real world mm -hmm. that adults do. Most kids are in um, like a tiny artificial world that adults have made for them. Right. Yeah. And so like, they have to try to like make it kind of like as realistic as possible. And in our opinion, it's like, no, our kids want to play with, they want uh, phones, they want you know, laptops, they want, I mean, they want tools. Like they want the app, like they want the tools that we're using. And, you know, another, another thing people bring up with homeschooling is like the socialization thing. Like oh, how right. are they going to be socialized? But it's the same thing. It's like, do you want people to be socialized in this artificial environment? where they're only allowed to interact with people their same age and only under one, like a teacher's supervision. And all, I mean, that is not real world socialization at all. Whereas most homeschoolers, I mean, I can tell when I go to a playground, which kids are homeschooled and which kids are public schooled. Hmm. Because I will, I will go up and talk to them like they're real people. And the ones that go to public school will just like, look away like why is this person talking to me because their only interaction with adults is as authority as authorities mm. like the only time an adult will talk to them just one-on-one -on -one is if they're in trouble you know <laughs> versus homeschool kids they'll be like oh yeah blah 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 and they'll just chat your ear i mean they might be a little shy maybe but they'll still like smile and respond you know um depending on how outgoing they are but yeah i can i can it's not hard to spot an uh public school kid and it's so sad because i'm just talking to them like a normal person and they're not used to that they should be used to that treat them like people people you know <laughs> anyway i'm i'm ranting I you're know. supposed to stop yeah, me we, from we ranting. Gotta stop ranting okay <laughs> ask us another question yeah <laughs> have you all heard about taking children seriously like the philosophy thing the formal philosophy yeah that's i think mm -hmm. uh uh was it what was what's her name louis something louis metal or lily tanit yeah Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how she was raised. Right. I think she's talked about that, right. um, but I, I'm not super familiar with it. Like what, how does it, uh, can you sum it up? Yeah. So it's a non-paternalistic, non-authoritarian, very liberal view of children. You know, again, when you go about telling adults what to do, it almost always spoils the relationship. And so why should you assume that you can go about telling a child what to do without hurting that relationship? So mm -hmm. it, it stems um, from like, Karl Popper's epistemology, which David Deutsch improves upon in his books, Fabric of Reality, Beginning of Infinity. And um, it's really like, you know, the way we treat our children literally has implications for the universe. And taking them seriously is really important. So, um, you know, kind of, again, thinking of them as people and not these kids that you just need to uh, tell what to do and they'll do and they have a mind of their own. And so, you don't have to just force them to do things. So I think it'd be really cool for you guys to kind of check that out. Cause, uh, yeah. oh, that rings... sounds like, yeah, we definitely would, uh, resonate with that. Yeah. Or, I mean, just, yeah. It sounds like something we, we started trying out a while ago. That was like, like five years ago or something where, where we came to this realization that the kids were starting to, treat us like enemies instead of allies yeah. you know like be sneaky they'd be like sneaking yeah, stuff from the kitchen and you know all these rules and and nat pointed out he's like do we i mean 
why why can't the kids eat food when they want like don't we want them to be more independent do do we really just want to control when and what they eat all the time and have to feed them and so uh, so we started we started shifting and being like and and even realizing like the way we talk to the kids do we ever talk to each other that way like why why are we treating them so disrespectfully basically like we would never talk to each other that way um but yeah it's the same thing and i think i mean so many people complain about teenagers because they're you know yeah. teenagers are so rough you know because they have an attitude or whatever well teenagers are pretty much adults like yeah. physically and mentally and i mean you're you're adults you know <laughs> and you're still being treated like a little child or just, just like you like i had no idea you were 16 me neither like, I I mean, like 20 30 who knows I mean, this, like, is, who this, is, this is exactly exactly what we're talking about like here you are like doing these podcasts with people complete like 100 professional probably more professional than a lot of adults you're, you're making you're you're doing you know um sending invites doing i mean you are living in the adult world mm-hmm. like as uh, because you're interested apparently right i mean it's just like that's that's it's just of course teenagers are gonna act like rebellious whatever if they're being treated like like toddlers it's right. like what now here's a question for you is where did you get the idea of leaving high school oh, and doing yeah. these podcasts and things because apparently it didn't come from your parents right yeah well, yeah yeah what's it tell us your story we're, we're, we're sure <laughs> well before lockdown before covid i was pretty much a normal kid you know i'd go to school and uh because i was in this environment where i was just constantly being fed these same ideas that you need to do this you need to pass it's just a certain environment around me, certain ideas flowing. So, you know, you, your worldview is just molded by those ideas in front of you. Mm-hmm. And so I never really questioned authority. I was just doing stuff, doing my exams pretty well. And uh, I don't know, just doing what I was told. And mm-hmm. when COVID hit, you know, I stepped back from that environment because I wasn't being exposed to the same groups of people over there at school because everything was work from home thing. And that's when... I started reading, just picked up on books for the first time in my life and started mm-hmm. reading a lot. And I met this one friend and we would eventually have like two, three hour long conversations a day sometimes. Uh, we were in the same building so we could meet and stuff. But we would just talk about stuff. And he, he brought up entrepreneurship to me, which was completely mind blowing because I never thought that, you know, you could do your own thing. I thought you just had to go and work for someone else, but apparently you can start your own company. You can do all these crazy things. And so that friend was, yeah, uh, that was really an eye opener, but that was just, you know, the spark, the beginning. And then I obviously read a lot of books. Then I started a blog, started engaging on Twitter. And that's led to, yeah, pretty much the best opportunities in my life and just following what interests me from there. It's totally been awesome. So that's kind of my journey. That's amazing. Love it. Yeah, there's, yeah, entrepreneurship. That's... Well, I think that's, I mean, that's part of the problem, though, with like, even like talking about unschooling or all this stuff is like, because we don't really believe in top down approaches, like, it's hard. Like, how, how do you even get it out there? Right. Or how do you even like, like, like even like our story, like, how, like, if we wrote a book like you know here's how to do exactly what we did it's not going to work 
Mm-hmm. Like our our story is so w- be weird and bizarre, and like or even like winning this fellowship, right? Like I mean, <laughs> there's like, no there's like no we, book we can write about never, how to win this. Fellowship. It's like oh yeah, we we worked hard for ten years because we knew in 2023 Jim O'Shaughnessy would be giving out these fellowships, and that we would have a good chance of of winning it. It's I mean we never even thought about doing this until it was like a presented to us, right? We were just doing stuff. You're just doing something, and like, said, like following your interests, right? Like that's not a like that. That's the opposite of a curriculum. A mm-hmm. curriculum is you're following somebody else's interests, basically. Like do like following their blueprint of what of how they see like a successful person acting and looking and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and it it depends. You need a goal if you have a curriculum too. I mean, and like you said, like if the goal is to get a job, then it's probably it's probably okay. You you learn the things you need to learn. You get a college degree and you get the job that you was your goal to get, right? But yeah, most people do that are, are miserable. <laughs> yeah, most, most people end up end up doing yeah. that and getting a job and realizing that uh oh, I'm not happy now. What <laughs> this is my goal for many years and I've achieved it. Yeah. And this so is not so good. it's like, like when I think about our kids, it's like like I've talked about this before. It was like my idea of like I want to keep my vision of what success means for them as fluid as possible mm-hmm. like i mean if you push me i would probably give you like a, a vision of like how i want my kids to, to turn out right mm-hmm. but it, but i am trying as hard as i can to like hold that very loosely mm-hmm. because who knows what the world's gonna even look like when they're adults who knows who know? i mean it's just, like my it's parents so could never have predicted what we're doing right now or like, I mean, or Martha's, Martha's mom is a software engineer mm-hmm. and she went to back in the eighties, right. Or nineties, eighties. She, she went back to school and like got a software like oh, master. 90s. She got yeah. a master's in software engineering and she was worked as a developer for you know years. Mm-hmm. She would never have imagined that her daughter would do the same thing for free. Learn how to yeah. using this thing called the internet. Right. Yeah. And my mom, she didn't even learn how to code. <laughs> she got a computer science right. degree and then right. everything else she had to learn on the job. Right. You know, so she you, didn't even learn so how to you, code. Oh my gosh. Right. So <laughs> even, even back then, even back then, education wasn't able to keep up no, with, no. with the rate of progress. No way. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah. So interesting. So I don't know. I mean, like I said, like, like with your parents, I, I probably won't help talking to your parents, but it's just like if they could see how quickly the world is changing. And basically be like, oh my gosh, like that's how I see like my kids. Like I want my kids to be so adaptable and so flexible and have such a high degree of agency yeah. that if they're like they'll, they'll be able to learn what yeah. they need to learn. They'll be able to take opportunities when they say see them. They'll be able to know what they want and right. how to work towards it. Right. Like you, I mean, how many kids just don't even think about what they actually want? You know, they just were following, so, following yeah. the system. Until you had time, like it sounded like uh, during the pandemic, right? You yeah. actually had time to start like thinking and learn, like reading stuff that you were interested in. I think so it was actually, a- it was actually important, you know, that I wasn't exposed to just that curriculum, that environment where I'm just being fed all these ideas and it's just implicit or sometimes even explicit that you're not allowed to question the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so right i mean yeah. how bizarre is that where yeah. it's like kids are supposed to have the answers like like the teacher asks the question and the kid is supposed to have the answer right whereas 
the kid you want the kid to be asking the questions yeah like our kids ask us questions all the time yeah and they're stumpers too and, and, yeah. right. and, oh, that was and that's the thing video about that. that is why adults squash it i think is because, because they don't know the answers because they're trying to you know fulfill this authority role right mm-hmm. and if you're the authority figure you're supposed to have the answers so i mean it's it's a weird yeah i mean it's like we we basically had it's been very uh yeah. yeah, it's funny because sometimes uh, I I think there was another tweet I saw that was like, imagine a world where there was no such thing as talking back, right? I mean, kids, they're seen as talking back if they ask questions or if they ask why or whatever, <laughs> but they're just asking, you know, I mean, they're, but, but it's seen as talking back because they're just not blindly following whatever you say as the ultimate authority. Um so a lot of times, like I say, hey, let let's do this, or 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 time to. Here's an example: time to get your pajamas on, right? And they're like, why do we need to wear pajamas? I'm like that is an excellent question, and I really don't have a good answer. Why don't we just try not wearing pajamas and see what happens? You know, like maybe we'll figure if we don't wear pajamas, maybe we'll find out why people wear pajamas. I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it's just because <laughs> your clothes are preserved were like supposed to be dirty and you'll get your bed yeah. dirty or something. But anyway, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, like we we've let our kids dress themselves since they were like three or four. So like we'll we'll take them outside, you know, out to, in public, and they'll have like their shirt on inside out. And it, it's like it's humiliating. It's like it is so <laughs> humiliating to me. I'm proud. She's I'm like so my dress themselves it's inside oh, out and backwards and dirty but they did it themselves yeah, like I, I i'm so embarrassed <laughs> i'm so embarrassed but it's just like i've had to ask myself like okay what's more important to me my kids learning how to dress themselves or me doing it all for them hating it resenting it just so that i can feel like i'm getting the approval of strangers so you can look like a good parent would you rather be like, a good parent or look like a good parent how about that? Exactly. <laughs> and it's just like, like, and then when I, when I phrase it that way, it's like, oh, right. Yeah, of course I want my kids to like, right. I mean, that that's, that's more important. And you know, when we were RVing, uh, you know, they, they, they don't have chores. Our kids don't have chores. They have jobs. Like they ask for a job and we're like, okay, well, how about, how about putting the dishes away or, you know, different things. And we pay them like a dollar for different things. And when we were RVing, when we'd stop at a gas station or something, they were so proud. They would take their wallets. They'd like dump their money all over the floor to like, right. <laughs> to like the count floor of the gas. They'd go in the gas. Oh, it's terrible. They would go in the gas station. They'd, they'd, wait, like, oh, okay. they'd wait in line. <laughs> There'd be like five people waiting behind them and they would dump their wallets out on the floor and count out their little quarters and things so they could pay for their candy or something. Yep, and they were so proud. Oh, so never, embarrassing! They oh, never gosh. begged us. They never asked us to buy them anything, because they were so proud to be using their own money to buy stuff. Talk about entrepreneurship, right? Like they were, or our son is the entrepreneur. Our, you know, different kids are different, right? Like our oldest is much better with like a regular job type thing, but our kid, our son, is very much an entrepreneur. He he did his lemonade stand. He did a lemonade stand by himself. One day he was, I was like, wait, where is he? And it turns out he had drawn all these pictures and he was knocking, he was going door to door in our neighborhood trying to sell his pictures that he had drawn. So Nat ended up going with him because we 
don't want to get in trouble and be like, what's this child doing? <laughs> um, but just the initiative, like he's yeah, going to go out and sell his pictures. <laughs> yeah, but like, once again, like I sympathize with other parents because him doing that was uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. right i mean and, and not just uncomfortable but like the cops could have showed up i mean <laughs> had the cops show up like right at least one yeah. one time Th thankfully it's never been like serious but it's like anyways they showed up because the two youngest were, were playing in a puddle at yeah. the bottom of our driveway oh right yeah. and and one of and our neighbors i knew, I knew <laughs> that they knew not to go into the street right right yep. like our kids never go into the street because they learned and i trust them but our neighbor walking by saw these two little girls playing in a puddle at the bottom of our driveway and thought oh no neglect negligent parents right <laughs> called the cops so <laughs> it's okay because with <laughs> other kids with other kids it might have been dangerous exactly, you yeah, know right. because I have seen kids run into the street, like right in front of me, chasing a ball or something. Uh, I know that our kids wouldn't do that, but some kids do. So how was she to know? Um, yeah. So that would be one nice thing about living in the country. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Switching gears, you both have been really engaging on Twitter and other social media platforms. And, you know, firstly, it's just so cool that we can do that. I DM Matt if he'd be interested in doing the podcast. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. I'll just send you our calendar. And so we set it up and here we are, strangers from across oceans having a civil conversation. And mm -hmm. that really amazes me about human ingenuity and makes me hopeful even during a time where every second tweet on my feed is from an AGI doomer. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I want to ask how, you know, you've taken advantage of these social media platforms and if you have any thoughts on how others could do the same. Yeah, so, so the, the frame we like is heuristics, kind of like like rules of thumb. Like that that that's the kind of kind of learning that we've we've mm -hmm. that's that's helped been most helpful to us. So mm -hmm. what what are what are some social media heuristics? Well, what do you think? First of all, the story, I mean, he got me into social media. I was not, I was not into social media at all, but I was learning how to code. Um, and he, he said, you got to get on social media so that you can learn, learn in public. Um, because how else was anyone going to know who I was or what I could do? Um, so that was my approach when I was learning to code, um, was, was basically just posting so about what was I was learning, LinkedIn, what I was doing, LinkedIn, LinkedIn and Twitter. And Twitter. Yeah. Um, and it worked because that's where I got my first job and every job afterwards, basically. Um, but actually your first, your first, it wasn't a job, but her first like gig was from LinkedIn actually. Was LinkedIn. It was yeah. a guy, it was an entrepreneur in England who was making a, a React Native app for, mm -hmm. you know, mobile. And Martha had just posted, Hey, I'm learning React Native. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Oh, Hey, you want to, you want to get like, you know, how much do you pay like $6,000 or uh it was like, no it was less than that i don't remember I don't but it's remember. like i mean so it wasn't like a full-time thing but it's like she was basically being paid to learn right to so she was already learning creative. she was yeah. already learning this mm -hmm. and then suddenly because she was posting it publicly mm -hmm. she got this once again you would never be able to count on this you could never write a book about this right um and i suppose in terms of heuristics uh 
I think one reason people reacted so positively to me and followed me is because, I mean, they keep saying how authentic and inspiring I am, you know? Um, you know, people are smart and they know when they're getting sold to or manipulated. Right. Yeah. Right. That's they just know. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> I was just sharing my journey, sharing what I was learning, sharing my reactions to things. Um, and I was not looking to to like get a bunch of followers so I could sell them a bunch of courses and oh, yeah, stuff that, like yeah. that, which is what a lot of the game a lot of people are playing. I just basically wanted to get myself out there and hope someone would find me and want to hire me. <laughs> uh, and in the meantime, I also wanted to, by sharing my own journey, this is the power of storytelling, right? By sharing my own journey, I was hoping that others like me might also be encouraged just by my story, you know? Um, yeah. And they were. like, And they were. Oh, and yeah. YouTube too. So she was doing LinkedIn, oh, yeah, Twitter, and YouTube. I got started mostly on LinkedIn. I ended up just like, I, I wrote a JavaScript script to like send to spam uh, uh, connection requests. So I, I have like 15,000, 17,000 followers on, on LinkedIn. I didn't cheat. So, but I think <laughs> we're about the same. I think we're about the same. Uh, some of them were I organic. I did it organically. Some, yes. Lots of organic. <laughs> but what I found on LinkedIn, I mean, and I, I mean, I got a ton of engagement on LinkedIn and stuff, but not, mm -hmm. I, I never got any kind of like actual job leads. Um, so I kind of gave up on LinkedIn. It was kind of, well, what happened? Okay, so here, here's the thing with Twitter. That's that. Uh, I kept hearing this rumor that like, oh, Twitter is actually better for networking. So after I learned to code in 2018, before Martha did, I I got a Twitter account and started kind of like networking, and that's how I got exposed to a lot of people like like Naval, like, uh, um, yeah, just just a lot of that like entrepreneurial kind of uh, kind of world and software development, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I found. Is that people were actually having conversations on Twitter, mm -hmm. and like developing like ca kind of these casual relationships. And there was this one quote. I think it was uh, like in the Black Swan or one of those books, where he says, <laughs> "Like the the biggest the best advice I could possibly give a young person starting out, like your age or a little older, is to go to a super like vibrant." happening city and attend as many parties as you possibly can and twitter's the party right <laughs> yeah. and for me i'm mean, so like part of it though like, was like i moved to atlanta to, to learn how to code and i, I attended tons of meetups i, I networked my ass off and i, I got actually a, a couple gigs from that um but what i realized was twitter was like this international party that never stopped. It just like right. it, was, it was going, and the people at the party were the most interesting, like age, agentic, like, like the people that were actually doing things were on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Like LinkedIn was just people that were like kind of doing this performance of like I want to, I want to, you know, just a normal corporate job, and like here's well, my professional kind of like right. persona. Well, and also I was disappointed when I found out basically LinkedIn is people looking for jobs and recruiters. Oh, right. Yeah. And and those are not the people I was trying to find. Terrible luck with recruiters. recruiters terrible are, luck with recruiters. It's just like, no. Yep. If you want a job, go cut out the middle guy. Go, go, to, Link, go, go to Twitter. Right. Go, <laughs> go to Twitter. Because that, that's where the people that actually make decisions are. Yeah. Like there will always be these offer these basically finding the places like, like the parties right like where where are the i think the reason parties work as opposed to like even like meetups and stuff 
is because okay well here's here's the thing with like linkedin or or even on twitter right but like the, the whole hustle culture is really limiting when because basically what it is it's like here you know I, here's a course for you know twenty dollars buy, buy my course buy my course you can you, you can learn how to do software development and then, and then you can sell courses mm -hmm. um it's it's transactional right it's it's playing the sh the, the short game and I think this was a Naval quote, like, so early on, like he was very influential, like a lot of his tweets, like really kind of helped me um, frame like what I was doing, like with Twitter. And one of his tweets was play long-term games with long-term people. And that really resonated partly. I mean, it was like, yes, like, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. It's like, I want to, I don't want to like get an audience, you know, get as much money from them as I can. and then leave town right and that, 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 that at a party i think that's what what happens it's like if you go to a party and someone someone's like pitching you on something or, or trying to get some money from you or like you're not going to talk to them like that that's a terrible interaction right that's just what i mean nobody wants to go to a party like that but what happens at parties is that you can like if you interact enough times like you build up like a certain level of trust and just like knowledge of like where the other person is um does that does that make sense i mean that's because it's like anyways and that's what i see like happening on twitter it's just like whenever i, I meet a new person whenever i'm interacting with someone i always keep open the possibility that i could be interacting with them 10 years from now hmm. and not just interacting but act like right intricately involved or who knows what it's, like, right. it's not even, and that's, it's like, that's, even just as a friend like, and that's and that's one reason why we don't have a lot of hopes of uh actually having an income through like youtube or twitch or different things because you oh, right. yep. you have to do that hustling thing yes. you know and neither right. of us are interested just, we don't like it it's not fun i i you know at one point on linkedin i was kind of like a micro influencer and these a couple, a few companies came to me to like advertise for them. And I'm just like, you know what, if you want me to like use your product and then give my real reaction to it, I'd be okay with that. But if you're telling me what to say, I'm not okay with that. Cause it's like a, a betrayal. Like everyone's following me because I'm authentic. Right. Mm -hmm. So there goes all my followers. Like I'm betraying them. I'm just, I'm not being myself anymore, which I don't know. And that's the thing is that we probably could figure out how to make money on, on YouTube because we're smart and we're whatever, yeah. but we're just not interested in that game. We're just not interested in selling. Um, I mean, obviously yeah. we're, we're, we're selling this, these ideas of alternative education, but we're not actually selling it. Yeah, we're, we're just we're, kind yeah, of, not really. I mean, no, we're, not, we're not making, we're not making money. We're sharing, <laughs> we're sharing, we're sharing our story. We're sharing what we've looked into and our experience. But yeah, we're not we're not making money from that. Let's put it that way. We're just being given money for whatever right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it's a huge difference. And it's like I have friends. I have friends on Twitter that that seem like they've threaded that needle between like authentic and just like grifting or hustling. So like Visa, Michael Ashcroft. Hmm. Um, there, there's a few people you know like that I follow who are who seem like they've they found that balance between like providing like enough like like I think I've bought like one of Visa's books. I don't think I've ever bought Michael's course that he sells. 
but like that's okay you know like like, like they don't they don't make that conditional on friendship right yeah um, those two specific cases if, if you really were my friend thing, though what was that mm-hmm. those two specific cases that you mentioned they yeah their work does seem very authentic so mm-hmm. we get that aspect. right not just hustling yeah yeah so what what do you think that i mean does that does that do you, does this even make sense like this difference like have you seen this or like what would you say the difference is i have you know those long threads not really long like very simple that sort of give you a dopamine rush <laughs> you think like you know you learned something and now they're selling you a course and you buy this or um it's like oh this is a free template but you have to follow so that i can dm you i don't know if you've seen those threads on twitter oh no, no, no yeah oh but, yeah i think yeah 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 exactly so yeah those kind of seem annoying and so that's why i don't really follow people nowadays much on twitter i just have lists and stuff so yeah, interesting I did run an ebook that was kind of, you know, Oh yeah. yeah. but that's because everyone, ke- after I got my first software job, everyone kept yeah. DMing me and asking me like, how did you do it? How did you learn to code? I'm like, okay, I'm just going to write an ebook about how I learned to code. And then I can just share the link whenever anyone asks me and that'll be it, you know? <laughs> and that's, yeah. So I wrote an ebook. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, but yeah, but she never like really, but you don't push it. Like you don't really like market it too much. I still get like a sale a month or something, even without yeah, any advertising. So, I mean, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, but um, so I mean, I guess that's that's been a learning journey for me too, because it's like because I was kind of exposed to that whole kind of culture on Twitter. Like I thought, like I would have to like do that, right? I thought I would have to like be like okay, I find you know find I'd have to like buy all these courses and then start like you know you know to figure out what my niche is and like and then sell my own courses. And it's like the more I got into it, the more I realized like I don't I don't even enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. And like what I really wanted was just like passive income so I could do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I guess that that's the inauthentic part that I don't like. It's like all these people that are hustling who don't actually want to hustle. They just want to get as much money from you as possible so they can go off and, you know, play video games or who knows what. Whatever, they like, would, whatever, yeah. whatever their actual desires are, right? Which I so. totally am. I mean, I would love to have passive income to just do whatever to make movies or, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. like we... We had kind of a long-term plan of, of maybe, like, my, my plan was to get better and better at programming so that I could get a, a really high salary and start, like, doing property investing so we could have a bunch of rentals. And anyway, this is, like, my 10-year plan, you know? <laughs> like, it, it was a plan, but it was going to take a while. Um I suppose doing the courses thing might uh, might have been faster, but just hustling, I, yeah, just not interested. Um, yeah. yeah, but I think when it goes back, like like I said, it's just like, what kind of games do you want to play? And it's like, like I said, the people that hustle, they don't want to be hustling for the rest of their life. They want to just hustle for however many years it takes for them to retire, or or whatever whatever game they're playing, right? But it's like. I would rather play a game that I enjoy now yeah. because I, I might die tomorrow, right? I mean, it's possibly some of them enjoy the hustling. It's kind of like a game. It's kind of like you know, yeah, like for, well, probably, probably the most successful they, ones. Yeah, probably the most yeah, successful. They ones, actually yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, 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 the most successful ones probably actually but, enjoy they probably it. I get a huge rush out of it. Uh, <laughs> just like yeah. some people. What I mean, like, and more power to them. Like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's just fine. But what I what I've had to realize in my own self 
partly because of my own like school mentality, right? It's like I, all these like people that are selling me courses, I've had to realize like, okay, I could buy their course, but that is not going to guarantee that I'm going to become like them or I get to the place where I want to get, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, like our, looking back on our life, it is so unique and so weird. Like we are not following anybody's course, like get rich quick course, right? <laughs> like and we couldn't write our own. Like we literally could not write. I mean, we could, but it would just be, we'd be bullshitting. Like there's like, right. Didn't someone ask you once, like, uh, for advice about uh, relationships or getting married or something? Oh, yeah, the same thing. And your your answer was like, step one, be nat. Yeah. Step two, marry Martha. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, like, so the best we can do, like I said, like is like these heuristics, right? Of like, put yourself in a place where people, like, like the parties in the cities or on Twitter. Uh, what was the other one? Oh, long-term gains with long-term people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like stuff like that is like that. That's coming handy. How about follow your interests? Oh yeah, there that's you go. That's a great one. That's like yeah. go if you go on Twitter, find find and follow the people who are talking about what you're actually interested in, yep. and talk about it with them because that's <laughs> just conversations are happening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, interesting. Um, yeah. Well, Matt and Martha, I'm really inspired by a story and I know others would be as well. Really appreciate you both joining me and uh, where's the best place for listeners to find your work and to connect? To find our work? Um, well, our YouTube channel is Nat and Martha Sharp, right? Uh, and we have a joint Twitter account, which is just Nat and Martha, right? Something like that. Oh yeah, Nat, just, yeah, Nat and Martha. Well, we have we'll a website. To- yeah, okay. we have a website called com. That's pretty simple. com, and it has links to everything too. So, <laughs> okay, and I do have a Substack. I, ha- I have a Substack because a friend of mine on Twitter challenged me to write a blog post about some of these crazy things I've done. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do a Substack. But I I called it just one blog post. Oh. So I I'm never. You're I, never people allowed keep to sub- do it again. <laughs> people keep subscribing, but I I can't I can't do any more posts. <laughs> Because it's just one blog post. So you can go, you can find me on Substack too, but I'm never going to write anything again. Unless you create another Substack.